0: Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. We're going to take a break from our uh, series that Brett's doing in Mark and we're going to take a look at uh, part of the Moses narrative out of Exodus. Uh, A great story, uh, a great truth about God's provision of a leader for his people. One that we ultimately are going to see uh, shown in Moses first, but then fulfilled more fully in Christ. But beyond that, I believe... That there is a promise from God that we can hold on to from the Moses narrative that we're going to read today. Because if we are honest with ourselves, the things that God calls us to do and requires us to do and demands of us, often they're seen as too difficult. Failure looms large, and success, as we define it as humans, It's few and far between. It doesn't happen as often as we would like. As God's people, we want to do the things that God commands us to do, but oftentimes we feel ill-equipped, we feel inadequate, we feel like we're a bad fit, and we allow that to sow disobedience. We know in Scripture that God has called us to these things, and we know that if he's called us to these things, that he will be with, the, with us in these things. But how can we conclude that this is true? In Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I put 14 up there, it's 4, I promise. We see a story that seems to be about Moses' rebellion and unwillingness to do the task, But the text shows us that while Moses did indeed let his inadequacy and his unwillingness lead to disobedience, God demonstrates such patience and such provision that not only will Moses, in the story that we're reading this morning, not only will Moses come to believe that God will be with him and equip him for every task that he's been called to, but us reading this 3,500, 4,000 years later, we can believe that that's true as well. And so, I'm going to read Exodus 4, 1 through 17 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can jump in there as well. If not, it'll be on the screen. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. But I want you, as I said when we were praying, if there's no other time that God's speaking to you during this gathering this morning, it's right now. So brothers and sisters, hear... The words of your patient, providential, living God. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, but Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, They may believe the latter sign. If they will not even believe these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs." May God bless the reading of his word. About 25 years ago or so, gosh, I'm old, there was an epic movie trilogy that came out, completely revolutionized the Uh, cinematography, uh, created a whole new separate thing of tourism in New Zealand because they actually kept the sets up and people could go live and explore the little hobbit areas and everything like that, Um, based on J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings. And we got to see a really interesting picture of what it looks like when people are faced with a monumental task that is sitting before them And how they respond. If you recall, uh, if you've seen this, uh, without giving you all 10 hours of everything here, uh, there's a ring. It's bad. There's a point early on where they have an opportunity to destroy the ring, and the guy who has the ring is like, no. And all kinds of bad things happen. So the ring goes quiet for a while. It wakes up again. And there are people from all walks of life in the elven fortress of Rivendell that are deciding what they're going to do with this ring. They know it needs to be destroyed, but how is it going to happen? Who's going to be able to do it? All these other types of stuff. There's humans, there's dwarves, there's uh, elves, there's hobbits, there's all kinds of, of different creatures that are here, and they're all talking about this. And one by one, they know it needs to be destroyed, but they start coming up with all of the reasons why it shouldn't be destroyed. One doesn't simply walk into Mordor. They've got armies upon armies. It's folly. Secretly, I may want to take this ring because I think my people can survive the war that's about to happen if we have the ring on our side. Oh, if they're just hanging out in Mordor, let's just leave them alone. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll all blow over. And they start arguing over all of these different things, and they're all kind of resisting the thing that they know it's patently obvious. There is evidence that is undeniable that this is what needs to happen. It's right before them. And yet, they're arguing over all of the ways that it can't happen. That's the human experience. Each one of us has maybe not, let's take the ring to Mordor, maybe not, let's go lead, you know, you're going to go lead God's people out of Egypt. But each one of us has something before us that we know God has told us is the right thing to do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we come up with some of these uh, things that will convince us that maybe there's another way, or maybe we don't have to do that, or maybe we're not equipped to do that, or maybe I don't need to do this. Maybe it's Joel's job, or maybe it's Dennis's job. I can just sit back here and just let them take care of it, right? God, tell one of them to preach this morning, okay? Right? Those, those types of, of things come up often in our lives. It's no different, different situation, but the thought is no different than Moses facing that burning bush, convinced in his mind that it is God who's speaking before him, telling him to do something, and yet he comes up with these ideas and reasons that he's not up to the task, it's for somebody else. Before we unpack the main text and all these things, I think it's important to go back uh, because we need to remember something that's very important. And this goes straight to uh, the main idea that I'm going to lay out today, which is that God calls specific people according to his purposes. Those people carry out specific things according to God's calling in our lives. So before we have Moses' response, it's only right, it's only appropriate that we go back uh, and we look at how God has called Moses to this specific purpose. Now, I've read 17 verses this morning, but this is part of a much larger narrative in, in Exodus. And uh, with the exception of perhaps Proverbs, anytime you're reading the Bible, you need to find this vignette and you need to bring it into the larger context of what's going on. Uh, it's essential to proper Bible study and to understand what God is saying. And so, in this case, we need to refer back to God's calling Moses, which is one chapter earlier in Exodus chapter 3. It's verses 7 through 10. Um, It's up here on the screen if you'd like to uh, read along. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God has called Moses to something huge. Lest we read ourselves into the text, I'm not saying that God is calling each and every one of us to lead his people out of Egypt. Or that God's calling you to lead you out of Egypt your people out of the Egypt of their lives. That's not what's going on here. While we are not Moses called to lead God's people out of Egypt into the land of promise, the truth is God has called each and every one of his people to something specific in their lives that is theirs to do. We see this all over in Scripture. Scripture. Moses is called to lead God's people. David is called to be king. Esther is called for such a time as this to be a queen of Persia to save God's people. The prophets were called to proclaim judgment and deliverance. The apostles were called to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. And all disciples everywhere were called to make Disciples, and that means us as well. We may not be called to lead God's people out of Egypt, but we are called to make disciples in our own lives, in our homes, parents to children, husbands and wives, siblings, grandparents, grandchildren, whatever the relationship is. In our workplaces, a few of us were able to attend um, a, the conference that Brett had mentioned yesterday, uh, last week um, up over at Downtown Hope about the new creation and the world of work, and it talked all about how uh, we as Christians can bring the truth of the gospel into our workplaces, um, which some, are it's a little easier to do that, some it's very, very difficult to do that, uh, but... Nevertheless, we are called to make disciples in our workplace. We are called, really, in our coming and in our going to be about making disciples. But if we're honest with ourselves, we often react to that calling the same way that Moses did. Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's intimidating for any number of reasons. But... This is why the narrative doesn't end here, why it keeps going. The truth is that God is patient in those situations because we may have questions. We may have a lot of uncertainty. We may even have some doubt about what God is calling us to. But he is patient with those things. Moses, in verse 11 of chapter 3, asks him, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Who am I to do this, God? I killed a guy. I'm a fugitive. I'm on the run from Egypt, in case you forgot. I was in Pharaoh's palace. I tried to be the hero. That didn't work out. Now I'm on the backside of the desert, tending sheep. Who am I? to go back to Egypt. That is a perfectly valid and appropriate question for any person called by God to ask God when you're called. Who am I to do that? Really? Honestly? My wife and kids can can tell you, don't answer this, whatever, but who am I to be standing up here right now? proclaiming God's word to you? Who are any of us, really, to be proclaiming God's word other than God has called us to do it? Moses knows he's not enough. He is inadequate before a holy God, a supreme God. Moses is not enough, neither are we. But God assures Moses that he will be with him in verse 12. He says, I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what you're going to say. Don't worry about it. I picked you. This is your job, Moses. This is your calling. Not only that, but as we move back into chapter 4, he expresses these questions as to whether he's going to be believed. They're not going to listen to me. The guy who just randomly shows up after not being there for 40 years, they might know who I am. They'll be like, oh yeah, that's the dude that killed the Egyptian. Wonder how he got back. And they'll have him arrested before long. Pay him no mind. God does Moses something amazing here, and I don't want us to miss this, but it. Sometimes in the Bible, it'll just say, God gives Moses signs, powerful signs, and that's what it is. Uh, But God is giving Moses a concrete clarifying of his call here. In addition to answering his question, he is reminding Moses this is the call. So God asks him, What is in his hand? He says, It's a staff. God tells Moses to throw it on the ground. When he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. Moses runs from it. Real talk, I probably would too. And so would most of you guys. That's Throw a stick on the ground and it becomes a snake, that's a little weird, God. But that's, that's the sign that God chose to use. So there's one. The second sign, God says, put your hand in your cloak. He pulls it out. Moses didn't do anything other than put his hand in his his cloak and then pull it out. And it goes from normal skin to white, decaying, nasty. Then God says, put your hand back in, pull it out, and it's completely restored as if it had never happened. Sign number two. Sign number three, God says, if they won't believe that one and they won't believe the other one, then take some water from the Nile, throw it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood when it hits the ground and that will be the sign. So God gives Moses not one sign, not two signs, but three signs to give to the Hebrews. Lest we think this is a little overkill on God's part, there's a reason behind that. This goes straight into the Eastern mindset. The question of authentication in Hebrew culture often is, what will be the sign? So if a prophet comes and says that something's going to happen, the question that the recipient of that prophecy would say would be, what would be the sign? Prove it. How is, it going to, how is this going to happen? And we see this all over the place. We see it here in this passage. Um, we see a sign when Joshua is fighting a battle, the sun stands still for almost a whole day. That's the proof to the Israelites that God is with them. Gideon asks for a sign a couple of different ways. God, if you're really with me, let me put this fleece out on the ground and let me have everything, all the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. Okay, God does that. Okay, God, don't be angry with me, but one more time, do it, in, do it the opposite. Make sure that the fleece is wet and all the ground is dry, right? That's the sign. Hezekiah, when he asks for more time on earth, he says, "How is this? how am I gonna know? Isaiah says, you'll give him more time, or you'll be given more time. And Hezekiah says, how will I know this? He says, the shadow on the stairs is going to move backwards Instead of moving forwards 10 degrees Zacharias John the Baptist's father Angel shows up You and Elizabeth You're really old But you're going to have a baby Well, But we're really old How can, how can that happen Angel says guess what I'm going to give you a sign You're not going to say a word until he's born And then the Pharisees ask Jesus, what is the sign that you're going to do this? And Jesus says, I'm not going to give any sign except the sign of Jonah, who was in the fish for three days and then came back out. These are, it's a normal question to ask what the sign is going to be. So God gives the sign, accommodating to the culture, but he also gives them three. And I think that's more for Moses than it is for the Israelites. Putting it in triplicate is a clear demonstration of God's message. So yes, Moses can use that for the Israelites. They'll believe him at some point. He has enough signs to do that. But it's just as important for Moses to believe and accept that God has called him to this. Triplicate In the Hebrew culture, whether it was written, whether it was something like that, was like, pay attention, this is important, it's true, you can take it to the bank that this is real and your reality. It was a confirmation as much for Moses as it was for the people to whom he would give those signs. Unfortunately, cultures tend to seek signs, and they still did. Paul wrote a little bit about that. And all those signs that they saw were not enough for the Hebrews because they kept asking for another sign or asking for something else and we should have gone back to Egypt and all these other things. And we're going to see here in the text, it's not quite enough for Moses either. Because he's going to express, after uncertainty about being believed, he's going to express uncertainty in his fitness for the task because he's going to tell God, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or in this conversation. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. He's giving all of the reasons that he's incapable of doing the work that God has called him to. One problem with that, God does not need to hear our qualifications or lack thereof. Pretty sure he knows that already. And God's going to give Moses a rhetorical question there Who made your mouth, Moses? Was there some random person over here? Some other, is there some other creator here other than me, God's asking? Think about that, Moses. I made your mouth. I know what it can and can't do. Go. He knows all of Moses' strengths and weaknesses just like he knows all of ours. He knows the number of hairs on our head. We can't even, I mean, we probably could count it, but you'd get bored after like five minutes, right? The, God doesn't need five minutes to count the number of hairs on our head. He just knows. He knows us that deeply and he knows that uh, thoroughly those he has created in his image. Moses now is out of excuses. He's tried that they won't believe me, He's tried the I'm inadequate, he's tried the I don't even talk very well, and you want me to go be a speaker, so finally Moses just gives up and he just says, please just send somebody else, anybody else, who's good for this job, anybody but Moses, that's the answer. But I want to ask us this question. It's kind of funny to laugh about it a little bit because he's, he's literally seeing God as much as one can see God and not be consumed. But he's having an A to B conversation with God. Like God is in the bush right before him and he's talking to God and God is audibly speaking back. And God is telling Moses to do something and Moses is given all the reasons that, that he can't do it and God has given an answer to every reason that he can't do it and be like, no, still. And and. By the way, after all of these, it's like, the answer is still, now go. And we kind of sit there thinking, you know, Moses, what were you thinking, dude? You're talking to God. God tells you to do something, go do it. If I heard the voice of God audibly, I'd go do it. How many times do we feel God leading us to do something? And we sit there and we've got the same line of excuses that Moses had, maybe in a different order or in a different iteration. But we start second-guessing it. I remember when we were called to move out here five years ago and change now. Five and a half years ago, wow. Time's ticking by. We were called out here to um, pastor another church in this area. Uh, And the, the doors kept flying open left and right. And we were sitting there... Like, Ann and I had these conversations. Surely now, they won't want us anymore. This is where the door's gonna close. Nope. Surely now, this is where the door's gonna close. Nope. Surely now, all the surely nows, and these were some big things, big obstacles that were gonna prevent us from moving out here to Maryland, and one by one, God knocked all the doors down, and I'm still sitting there because I liked what I was doing. I was teaching in a Christian high school, I liked doing that, but I knew that this might be what God was calling me towards in this season of life, and I sat there just agonizing over this decision, and I remember talking with one of my mentors, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't feel like I can can do this, but all these things are starting to happen, and he was just like, then go, you dummy. Dummy. Sometimes good counsel is really blunt like that. But it's funny how we second guess and we think about all these things. We think, I'm not smart enough. I don't know what to say. I might look ridiculous. I'm totally unprepared and ill-equipped for this. The beauty of this is that God gives these people, those that he calls, he gives them every tool necessary to walk out that calling. Most importantly, his presence. Apart from him, we can't do anything. But God gives these people, including us, those that he calls, every tool that's required for this. Now this starts, the, this response from God and, and this point that I'm about to make, kind of starts in an interesting place, because Moses has just said, send somebody else, and God's anger is now going to burn against Moses for his disobedience, in verse 14. This is the first time God has demonstrated anger in this passage. Everything else to this point has been patience, and providence, and all these things, and I'm going to be with you, and all this stuff. And it's not that God suddenly ran out of patience, like we do. Right, Damon? Yep, he's nodding. My oldest son up there. It's not like he runs out of patience like parents do. But as the excuses are gone, Moses is gone from I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it to I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. And that crosses the line from doubt into disobedience. What Moses is telling God is you... I'm standing here, I'm talking to a burning bush. I know you're real. I know we're having this conversation. I know what you've told me to do. I know it's going to give you glory and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to obey and give you glory through these actions. Questions are fine. Questions are in many cases completely appropriate. But once we know crystal clear what God wants for us, the time for questioning is over. And it is time to... Obey. And when we disobey, it requires a different conversation and a confrontation because God's anger must burn against disobedience because his holiness requires that that be so. But instead of consuming Moses on the spot... God's patience is still there, and his mercy and his grace are still there. And so God continues and says, I'm going to be with you. Not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to equip you for the task. And not only that, but I'm going to send somebody that's going to be perfect in the areas that you don't think you're adequate, Moses. God addresses Moses' problem about speech with an eloquent speaker. Hey, your brother's Aaron. He's a Levite. He's a really good speaker. He's coming here to meet you, by the way. And he kills both of Moses' complaints in one stone. Not only will Moses uh, have a gifted speaker, but he's going to have an audience. Because when Aaron comes to see Moses, Aaron's going to be glad in his heart, and Aaron is going to receive Moses. By the way, where has Aaron been living all of this time? In Egypt, and he's a Levite, which means that he's kind of higher up among the people of Israel, right? He's in a position of authority. And so if Aaron receives Moses, guess who else is probably going to receive Moses? The Israelites. Not only that, but Aaron is going to speak to the Israelites on Moses' behalf, just to remove any doubt. Moses is going to be received here. Not only that, but God promises to be with them both. He says, I'm going to give you the words to say, and I'm going to teach you what to do. Now, we got a couple people that know a little bit of Hebrew in here. I'm getting there eventually. But I do know that the Hebrew word for teach is a word that most people in here will probably hear when I, understand when I say it. It's Torah. Ooh, some light bulbs went off. The Hebrew word Torah is the word to teach. Now, Torah is the Jewish term for what we might call the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, that tell their story of becoming God's people, And what they do and what they're supposed to do in response. And so God here is telling them, I'm going to give you what to say. I'm going to teach you what to do. This obedience to me is going to become your lifestyle. This is not a one-off thing. I'm going to teach you what to do. And then he tells them again to go and give the signs. The most important thing for anybody in the people of God, whether it was Moses and Aaron then or it's us here sitting in this gathering today, is you to understand that God is going to be with us. Whatever God calls us to, whether it is being planted in this church for its entire existence, like some of you here, whether it's coming in and out, Whether you are military or whether life just carries you from one place to the next, whether it's going some far flung place around the earth to be a missionary uh, or anything in between, God has called you to it. God will be with you in it, and He will give you what you need to walk it out. There's kind of a hokey cliche one person plus God is the majority. It sounds kind of hokey and and maybe a little goofy, but it's true. God is more powerful than anybody. And we don't need to be like super strong and super smart and super eloquent. Uh, There there are a lot of people that are, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but we don't need to be that. Because the reality is that God positions his people to work in the midst of weakness rather than strength. That's one theme that's seen throughout scripture. God uses the weak to confound the strong. Now sometimes that's a positional weakness. So like Joseph, who he saves Egypt from where? From he's saved from the famine, but where is he when he's saving Egypt? He's in prison, right? I'm going to give Pharaoh this, I'm going to give you this dream and oh by the way remember me. Guy forgets him. Pharaoh has a dream. Guy suddenly remembers, oh, there was a guy in prison that can interpret this dream. Joseph interprets a dream from prison and saves Egypt. You have Naomi, you have Ruth. There are husbands, Naomi's sons, dead. And in the Hebrew culture, that's like the worst possible place to be because there's no opportunity for a brother to take up the role of husband and to preserve the inheritance or any of that type of stuff. They're, basic, they're up a creek with no paddles to speak of. God brings them back to their area, works through Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, walking through something incredibly, unspeakably difficult, and ends up putting Ruth in the line of Christ. You have Esther, who was one of the Jews who was hauled off to Persia. No power, nothing nothing to speak of. All of a sudden, the king gets tired with his queen and decides to call a beauty pageant. She gets pushed in, she gets picked, and she gets put into this position from weakness to something that God had called her to. Daniel, the exact same way. Carried off in captivity. He's a prisoner of war, so to speak. And God moves him through and moves with him to become one of the most powerful people uh, in the Medo-Persian Empire under Darius. Sometimes it's a physical weakness. We talk about Ehud in Judges who uh, had some sort of perceived physical uh, infirmity. Paul, the same thing. He even writes, he's like, I don't talk great. I look kind of funny. But God uses these things to confound the, the, the slick talkers And the charismatic people, the ones who look the part, it's the power of God that proves that this is what the reality actually is instead of the guys who look the part. Sometimes it's a character weakness. Abraham let his wife go off and be pulled into a harem to save his own skin. Twice! Isaac did the exact same thing with Rebecca. Jacob's reputation was a deceiver. His name means heel catcher, which means that he's, he's a deceiver. Esau says, well, did my parents name you Jacob? The name fits. You have Jonah, who hated the Ninevites, the Assyrians, so much that he was willing to go on a boat as far away as possible in the opposite direction, Until, here's one about resistance, God has a fish swallow him and spits him up on the shore, and then God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, "Mm, okay, right? But you get to the end of the book, and you see why Jonah didn't want to do it. He hated the Assyrians so much, and he knew that if he went, they would repent, and God would forgive them, and he hated it. God still used that character weakness to call people to himself. To say nothing of the apostles who all fled, and Peter denied Jesus three times and tried to lop the head off of one of the Roman servants to try to protect Jesus as if Jesus needed protecting. To say to even to us today, and the point with all of that is, if God only called the perfect speaker, and he only used the perfect speaker, or the perfect tactician, or the perfect logician, or the perfect person... We're all in trouble. Every one of us is in trouble because God's wrath can't abide disobedience. And I've got some news that may or may not be earth-shattering, but every single one of us here and listening online or watching online, live or in the future, guess what? We've all disobeyed God. So if God uses the perfect people, we got a problem. We're in trouble. But here's the amazing thing, and we're going to get to applying the word here in just a second. The amazing thing is that as much as God was with Moses and as much as he gave him every tool necessary to represent him to the people of Israel and to the Egyptians, God is with us, and he gives us every tool that we need as well. In Ephesians 1, it says, That the people of God are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen in Christ. The prophet like Moses, whom we hear. The God who came near. In him, we are chosen. In him, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit within us. Our future is sure, so we don't need to worry about the present. Okay, so God has called me to uh, deliver a a sermon before the people, but I'm trying to get everything perfectly right and I can't think of the right image to open the sermon with or I can't think of the right... Who cares? Right? Proclaim God's word. That's what God's called you to do. That is a true confession from this morning. Sometimes we worry about the things that that don't really matter because if God's with us, then he's going to get us through all these types of things. Our future is sure. And when we're face-to-face with God in the future, like Moses was, what will he say? I don't know about y'all, but I want to hear well done. I really hope he's not, oh, that was the wrong, you know, remember that sermon that you gave on January 22nd, 2023? That was the wrong opening illustration. You should have gone with, right? (laughs) I'm not going to hear that. That's the point, right? The hope is to hear, well done. The hope is to hear, well done. And if we can look past the things that we think are going to hold us back and the reasons that we can't do the thing that God's called us to, whether it's talking to that person in the line at the grocery store or it's being Jesus to a difficult boss or a difficult spouse or family member or anything in between or outside of that, God has us and will give us what we need to do that so we don't need to think about the excuses. So how do we apply this? A couple questions that we can ponder. Number one, do I know what God's calling is on my life? If yes, am I, am I doing that? Or am I thinking about reasons that I might not do that? If not, have I asked him? Secondly, am I walking obediently in God's calling on my life? Or am I making excuses or being disobedient? And I realize that may step on some toes, Sorry, not sorry. Uh, it's kind of important that everybody uh, follows in the path that God has for them. Uh, that's essential. You know, I, I cannot, I can encourage my wife and sons to do what God has called them, but I cannot drag them along like a dog on a leash who doesn't want to take a walk and, and get them to do it. At some point, they've, they've got to do it. Uh, or it's on them if they don't do it. And so that's true of every single one of us, that we need to constantly evaluate. And I'll be totally honest with you, I'm, I'm ruminating on this a lot doing this sermon. You know, am I doing what God wants me to do? Or am I making excuses for all the reasons that I shouldn't be doing that, it should be left to somebody else? So we can think about those things, and as we come to the table of God's presence, remembering that God is with us, um, so you can uh, take the elements out, and, and we'll prepare here. We can understand that, yes, we are each called to something as the people of God. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus, your calling is very simple, repent and Believe. If you are a believer, then it may be a little bit more specific than that. God may be leading you to specific things, and I don't know what those are. You may not even know what those are yet. But as we've talked about a lot this morning, the most important thing is that God is with us. And because God is with us, we can handle the things that... uh, that he calls us to, even if we feel in over our heads or we just don't want to do it or any other reason that we can do that. So again, we're going to come to the table. This is a meal for believers um, where we reflect on what God has done for us, specifically coming near to us and giving us his physical presence in Jesus to die for us. So you do not have to be a member of Bayridge Christian Church to partake in communion. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you know that he is with you uh, and you have repented and believed and are working to, uh, to uh, be obedient from that position of, uh, of salvation, then you are welcome at this table. If that's not you, if you're not a believer, you can, you can let this pass. We'd love to have a conversation with you and talk about more about what God's calling might be. Uh, for your life, but brothers and sisters, uh, if you want to prepare, we will uh, we will join the table of God's presence. For what I've received from the Lord, I now pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, "This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you would prepare the bread. Oh Lord, our Father, you have called us to yourself through your Son Jesus. And you have called us to walk in faith according to your grace, not only for salvation, but also that your truth may be proclaimed throughout the world. And Lord, that looks different for each one of us uh, in our own individual lives. But uh, we thank you that you have done that and called us and that you are patient with us as we work to figure out what these things are. Lord, as we take this bread, may it be a reminder of your love for us and your care for your people um, that you called us out of darkness and into your glorious light first and foremost. And then uh, that there is... Uh, Greater things still ahead. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, it was said in the scriptures that God would be with us. The incarnation, you taking on this frail human flesh, is the full embodiment of your presence with us. You not only set it in an abstract way, but you made it concrete for us. You came to be with us, to live among us, and to die for us. We thank you that The idea of your presence was so important to us, to you and to us, that you've done this for us, taking on our flesh, pouring out your blood for the forgiveness of our sins that we might be called to newness of life and to proclaim your goodness and your glory throughout the nations. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. If you'd stand, um, we'll cry out to the Holy Spirit and then receive a benediction of the Lord. Spirit of God, the down payment on the inheritance set for us in Christ, the seal of our salvation the equipper of gifts from God our Father. We pray that you would fall fresh upon us and that in the areas that you are calling us to walk in life, that you would give us the tools necessary, whether an internal gift, whether an external person or encourager or situation. We pray that you would allow us to understand these home truths, that you've called us, that you're patient with us, that you'll equip us, and that you're with us. Help us to understand that newly this morning, to draw us closer to you, and to give us encouragement to walk out the work that you have for us, uh, for as however long a time uh, as you see fit, for us to walk this earth until we are with you face to face. We ask these things for your glory, and in Christ's name, amen. Friends, now receive this benediction from Ephesians 1 and Matthew 28. Brothers and sisters, you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, predestined in love to be the children of God. By his blood redeemed, forgiven of all of your sins. By his spirit assured of an inheritance waiting for you to the praise of his glory. Called to make disciples here in Annapolis, Anne Arundel County, Maryland, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And comforted that God will be with you always. You are blessed, brothers and sisters. Go forth and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.